Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. But for us here today, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, open it up to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible under your chairs, there are some hardback hardback black Bibles. Try saying that five times fast. And, And if you're using one of those, you'll want to turn to page 1014. Today is Easter Sunday. It's it's the day each year where we pause to remember and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we're all gathered here today. And because today is a day of celebration, it's also a day filled with traditions. This service, I think for a lot of us, is part of those traditions. But there are other traditions that we'll have. Many of us will spend the day with family or friends. Many of us are going to go home, and if we haven't already, we might dye some eggs, and we might hide eggs out in the yard for our kids to hunt and find out. Um, and, and these Easter traditions that we have, they're, they're good traditions. They're fun. Truth be told, our, our daughters are 18 and 14 now, and, and as our daughters are getting a bit older, I, I sort of miss some of these fun Easter traditions that we have. But there's a small risk that comes with all of these traditions, and that's that we allow these traditions to to become the point of our celebration. We celebrate Easter so that we can spend time with family. We celebrate Easter so that we can enjoy good food and, and good fellowship. We celebrate Easter so that we can dye eggs and hide them out in the yard for our kids to find them. And somewhere along the way, the true meaning of Easter becomes sort of a footnote. Now, we don't do that on purpose. It's It just sort of happens. But Easter Sunday is too important for us to allow the meaning of Easter to to be reduced. When we take the traditions and they become the point of Easter, Easter's value and significance gets less, which is why it's so important for us to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think the best way to do that is to be reminded of what Easter really means for us on a personal level. Each Easter, each year at Easter, we we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, today is called Resurrection Sunday. It's a day where we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the tomb, where we see that Jesus defeated sin once for all as he rose from death to life. And so what I hope that you can come face to face with today as we look at Scripture is the reality that Jesus' resurrection has personal implications for every single one of us. And we're going to see that right here in 1 Peter. So hopefully you are there. We're going to dive right in. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9 together. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. At the end of this chapter in the book of Peter, Peter is going to say that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at this letter from 1 Peter, I ask that you would work in us today. Get Josh out of the way and speak into our lives, every single one of us. Help us to understand that your resurrection at that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, it has meaning for us today in Alberta, Alabama. Help us to see that this day that we pause to celebrate each spring, it it is not just a routine. It's not just a tradition. It is the most important day of our year. It's the day that we celebrate that you defeated our sin, that you had paid the price for our sin. And as you rose in victory over sin and death, God the Father accepted your sacrifice on our behalf. God, speak into us. Use this text to lead us to follow you every single day. We need your help in this. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We know that we cannot understand this on our own. Holy Spirit, we need your help in this. We cannot do it by ourselves. And so we come to you and we ask that you would do the work that only you can do. And we look forward to giving you praise and honor and glory as you work in our lives today. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your beautiful name. And it's in that beautiful name that we pray together today. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus has personal implications for each of us. Somehow, I think we lose track of that from time to time. We think that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and as we think about it, if we're being honest, we think about it like it's a bunch of facts. It's a data set for us to consider events that happened but have no connection to you or me, but that just isn't the case. The Apostle Peter wrote this first letter of his about 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and he understood that Jesus' resurrection was important for each of us. This letter was written to a group of Gentile Christians. They're Christians who are a lot like you and me. They weren't Jewish, but they had learned about this Jewish Messiah, and they had placed their faith in him. They had placed their faith in Jesus. They lived in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. And and as they were living there in the eastern half of the Roman Empire, their faith in Jesus had begun to be a bit of a problem for them. You see, because they refused to participate in the quasi-religious ceremonies that, that surrounded the Roman Empire, because they had a faith that led them to abstain from a lot of the immoral practices that were so common in their day, because they gathered together so often to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which many people around them thought was them eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus because of all of these things that they were doing, because of what they believed, these Christians were regarded with suspicion and hostility. They were criticized, they were mocked, they were discriminated against. Sometimes they had been drawn into court on trumped up charges 
These Christians were living in a world that was hostile to them and hostile to the gospel. They were experiencing real persecution. Now, I don't think that our culture is where theirs was. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we can look around and see that that's sort of the direction we're headed. We really do have a lot in common with the original recipients of this letter. And that's why this is so helpful for us today. You see, Peter understood that Jesus's resurrection has meaning for every single one of us as followers of Jesus, which is why he began the letter the way he did. As Peter begins this letter to these early Christians, he begins with the resurrection. And he does that because he understood that the resurrection was personal, that it applied to each of us. And we see that coming out right here at the very beginning of the letter. So after the fairly formulaic greeting that we see in verses one and two, Peter gets right to it and he begins with praise. Take a look right there in verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the praise. Peter is is praising and blessing the Lord, but keep reading because the reason he's praising God is gonna come out. He says, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason for the praise is that God has called us to be born again to a living hope. And the source of that living hope is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's doing right here. You see, Jesus's resurrection means that we have a living hope. That's the first thing we're seeing right here. And that's an act of God's mercy. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. We we try, but we can't. God, in his great mercy, is pouring it out on us. And that mercy is manifested in the divine act of us receiving this new life of being born again. The Greek that underlies the English translation there of born again literally means to beget again. And what we ought to recognize as we consider that is that it's a completely passive act on our part. God does all of the work. He's the one that causes you to be born again. God is the one doing the saving. God is the one that's bringing in new life. Like, like think about it. When you were born, that was a completely passive act. I I don't think that you can be more passive than than you were on the day that you were born. Like, like put your mind there, like go back however long. Some of us, that's longer than others. But, But like when you were born, you didn't pick your birthday. Like, you didn't schedule the doctors. You didn't do any of the work. You you weren't making any of it happen. You were just there for the ride. Your mom, she did all the work. You were passive when you were first born. And when God brings new life to you, you're just as passive. He's the one that's making it happen. He's the one that saves you. He's the one doing all of the work. God is the one that's bringing new life to you. And it's an act of his mercy. And that should be an encouragement for us. Here's why. If your new life is dependent on you, then odds are fairly good that at some point you're gonna mess it up, right? Anybody ever get things completely right all the time? Yeah, guys, don't put your hands up. Your wives will, I promise you. We don't, we can't. But if it's dependent on God, if he's the one that's bringing new life, if he's the one that's doing the work, then that life is secure. That's a life that can bring hope. And not just hope, but living hope. 
Now, what's distinct about living hope? What makes that different than just hope? It's alive. And if that hope is alive, that, that means that it grows, that it increases in strength. Think about it this way. If, if you know me, if you know my wife, then you know that we have a small herd of dairy goats. I, I know I'm a nerd. I, 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 I just accept that. But, but we do. It's, it's our hobby. Uh, and we have them so that we can milk them. But in order to milk these dairy goats, we've got to breed them. And to make that whole process manageable, we stagger when we breed our does. So our first doe kitted out in very early January. And a month later, we had three more does that kitted out. And then a month after that, we had our last two kid out. So, so we had these goats born three months apart, basically. And, and when they're born, they are absolutely tiny. They're, they're miniature goats, right? So, so you can hold a baby goat in the palm of your hand. They are tiny, but they're alive. So they keep growing. And, and the thing with that growing, though, is you don't notice it. So when we got to February and and our kid, kids that were born in February, like on the day that they were born, if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you, yeah, these, these baby goats, they're tiny until that afternoon. When we had the February kids born and they're, they're on the ground and all of a sudden, those kids that were born back in January, they seemed huge. Why? Because they'd been growing. We, we didn't see it. We didn't see them growing, but, but they had been. And that's what happens with a living hope. It's alive, it's growing, it's increasing. And although we might not notice it at times, it is. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we mature in Christ, the more our hope grows. We have a living hope, but it's more than just a living hope. It's secure, it's sure. We see this as we keep reading in verses four and five. Take a look. In verse three, Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he continues on in verse four and says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This new birth leads us to our inheritance. Now, all throughout the New Testament, we see this language of inheritance used as a reference to the eternal life that those of us who place our faith in Jesus will one day receive. And that usage applies right here. In fact, it's plainly stated in verse five. The object of our living hope is the inheritance. It is the eternal life we will have with God. That's what we look forward to. But did you see how Peter describes this hope? He says it's imperishable, which means that there's no decay. Like it's not gonna wear out like your favorite hoodie will, right? He says it's undefiled. It, it cannot be polluted or contaminated by sin. Have you ever had something that you hoped for that you were looking forward to and somewhere along the way that that hope, that dream was, was just utterly crushed because of your sin or the sin of someone else? It can happen from time to time, right? But, but not with this hope. He says, it's unfading. It will never grow dim. It won't lose its beauty or, or its luster. In 2014, I, I bought a brand new Ram 3500 quad cab pickup, long bed. Love that thing. It was awesome. It was beautiful. It was shiny and new. But now eight years later and about 95,000 miles later, it's lost some of its luster. It, it's not as pretty and shiny. It's got scratches and dents. It, it is not unfading. But this hope that we have, it is. It is unfading. 
And then he says, it's kept in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven by God for you, which means it cannot be lost. This living hope that we have, it's a secure hope. It's a sure hope. It cannot be lost. And all of that is a result of Jesus's resurrection. That's what we're seeing right here. You see, Jesus's resurrection means that we have a secure and living hope. That's what we have. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a hope that cannot be lost, that cannot be taken. We have a hope that cannot be dimmed or destroyed or devalued. We have a sure and secure and living hope. That's what Jesus' resurrection means for us. When, when life gets hard, when we don't know what to do, we have, when we have the difficulties that we're going to face from time to time in life, our hope stands secure. That's what the resurrection means for us today. But it doesn't just mean that. As we keep on reading, we're going to see that Jesus' resurrection means that we have joy regardless of our circumstances. Take a look. Beginning at verse 6, Peter says, In this, in your secure and living hope, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection means that we have joy regardless of our circumstances. But why? Why is that true? It's true because our joy is not connected to our circumstances. Listen to me, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your source of joy, it's not in the job that you have. It's not in the car that you drive. It's not in the house that you live in. It's not in the money in your bank account. It's not in your clean bill of health. Your joy is not connected to any of those things. Your joy is connected to your hope. Your joy is connected to Jesus. We can rejoice in our hope, even as various trials come our way. And we can't miss this, by the way. Peter is telling these early Christians, he's telling us that there will be times where life is hard. Don't miss that. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten it into our heads that, that if you decide to follow Jesus, if you become a Christian, then all of your problems are just going to go away. That, that life is going to be rosy. You'll never have any stumbles. You'll never have anything go wrong. It'll all be good. We've gotten that into our head, but the Bible begs to differ. The Bible is telling us right here that there will be times where we have trials, that there will be difficulties. There will be times where life is hard, but we're also being told that because of Jesus's resurrection, we can have joy even when that happens. We need to think about that. In the midst of the many difficulties that may come our way, that we may encounter because this world has fallen, in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, even as we suffer and we're hurting and we're heartbroken, our faith leads us beyond our circumstances. It points us to rejoice in our hope. But why? Why are we able to rejoice in our hope even when we're hurting? It's because we understand what Peter's getting at in verse 7. We understand that our suffering isn't pointless. We understand that God uses those trials and those difficulties to refine us, to purify us, just like gold is refined. 
Like you, you recognize that the gold you're wearing today, the, the, the ring or the, the necklace that you're weighing, wearing, it didn't start out that way, right? Like, like gold started out as ore in the ground and, and some miners had to dig it out and hand it over to a refiner. And a refiner traditionally would take that gold and he would put it in a crucible and he would heat it up to over 1800 degrees Fahrenheit until that ore became liquid. And then as he took that liquid ore, he would stir it and the dross would rise to the top and he would skim that dross off and only then does he have pure gold. The refiner would then take that gold and pour it into a mold and and now he's got a gold bar and he would sell that to a tradesman or to a jeweler who would use various sorts of heating and, and working techniques to mold that into the thing of beauty that you're wearing today. Like the process of refining gold is an intense process. You have to go through some heat. You got to go through some fire and some suffering in order to make it beautiful. And what Peter is saying here is that God does the same thing with us. God uses those trials and difficulties. He uses our suffering to refine us, to purify us, to shape us into the image of Jesus. These various trials that may come our way, whether it's because of pure persecution, whether it's because of sickness, whether it's the result of our sin or the sin of someone else in our lives, whatever the case, we can have joy because we know the end result. We know that Jesus has already won the victory for us in his resurrection. We know that our hope is living and secure. We know that whatever we're going through, it's not the end, it's just the process. God is using it to lead us into holiness. He's using whatever we're going through to lead us into our hope so we can have joy because we know that God uses those trials to teach us that we don't need that job. He uses those trials to teach us that we don't need that car or that house. We don't need that money in our bank account. We don't even need that clean bill of health. What we need is Jesus. What we need is God. Jesus' resurrection means that we can have joy regardless of our circumstances because we know that our hope is not connected to our circumstances. Our circumstances are simply the tool that God uses to refine us. God uses our trials and suffering to lead us to depend on him, not on ourselves. He uses them to lead us to trust in him. Our current circumstances do not dictate our future hope. Jesus' resurrection does. That's what we're seeing right here. And so we can have joy even as we have grief. That's that's an idea that doesn't make sense to us, right? How can you have, have joy in the middle of weeping over your grief? It's because our hope isn't connected to our circumstances. We can have joy because of Jesus' resurrection. That's the second thing that Jesus' resurrection means for us that we have joy regardless of our circumstances. But as we come to the final few verses of our text today, there's one more thing that the resurrection means for us today. And it's the best thing of all. In verses eight and nine, Peter is going to show us that Jesus's resurrection means salvation is ours. Take a look. Peter continues. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, as I read that just now, I 
can't help but imagine that some of you are thinking, Josh, where are you getting this idea that Jesus's resurrection means that salvation is ours? Where do you see that in those two verses? Great question. It's easier to preach when you guys ask the question I'm thinking about in advance, so so I've got my transcript here. I, I want you to see that by zooming out a little bit. I want you to see that by considering the whole picture that Peter is writing to here. Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. He's writing to Christians who have placed their faith in and their trust in Jesus' finished work. These are Gentiles who had heard the gospel. They had never met Jesus. They had never seen or heard his ministry or, or seen or heard his teaching in person. Jesus had not appeared to them after his resurrection but they had heard the gospel message. They had heard that Jesus, the son of God, stepped down from heaven, that he put on flesh, that he was 100% God and 100% man. They knew that he experienced everything that we had experienced. He was like us in every way, but was without sin. Like, Like, think about what that means. That means that Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to have joy, to laugh and have fun. Jesus knew what it was like to have good friends and love one another. He knew what it was like to have your friends die, to have family members die. Jesus knew what it was like to have his closest friend betray him. Jesus knew what it was like to be charged with false accusations, to be taken to court, to be found guilty of something that he had never done. Jesus knew what it was like to be us. But he never sinned. He had never done any of that. He had lived a perfect life. They had heard how Jesus chose to suffer and die on the cross for our sins in our place. They knew that Jesus was buried in that borrowed tomb. And they knew that on that first Easter Sunday morning, on the third day, he rose in victory over sin and death. Peter's writing to these Christians who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They loved Jesus because Jesus had loved them. And even though they hadn't seen Jesus with their own eyes, they placed their faith in him. And because they had done that, they had a living hope. Because they had done that, that living hope had given them joy regardless of their circumstances. So they rejoice with joy, Peter says, that is inexpressible, that's filled with glory to God. They love Jesus. They believed in Jesus. And the outcome of that faith and love, Peter is saying, is salvation. Jesus' resurrection means that this can happen. It's what made it all possible. Jesus' resurrection means that salvation is ours. It was God's final stamp of approval saying that the sacrifice was complete, that the price for our sin had been paid. I love how Wayne Grudem put it. Wayne Grudem is this scholar. He writes books none of us actually read, but but listen to what he said right here. He said that the resurrection was God's declaration of approval of Christ's work of redemption. God the Father was in effect saying that he approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins and that his work was completed and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. There was no penalty left to pay for sin. No more wrath of God to bear. No more guilt or liability to punish. All had been completely paid for and no guilt remained. 
In the resurrection, God was saying to Christ, I approve of what you have done and you find favor in my sight. Jesus' resurrection means that his sacrifice was enough. It means that God accepted that sacrifice. Jesus' resurrection means that God put the stamp of paid in full over the debt of our sin. That's what his resurrection means. It means that salvation is ours. All that's left for us to do is take hold of it. That's what Easter Sunday is all about for us today. Jesus' resurrection means something for you today personally. It's not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago that we pause to talk about. It's an event that can change your life today. Jesus' resurrection means that you have a secure and living hope. You can have that. It's available to you. Jesus' resurrection means that you can have joy regardless of your circumstances. Jesus' resurrection means that salvation can be yours. But today on Easter Sunday, I want to ask you, have you taken hold of that? Have you grabbed that and made it your own? There is only one way to eternal salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ, through his finished work for our sin. At Easter, we celebrate the good news that we have in Jesus, but in order for good news to be good, there has got to be bad news first. And the bad news is that we are sinners, and our sin separates us from God. God is holy and righteous and just. He is perfect. He has no sin. And his holiness, it cannot abide our sin. His righteousness cannot abide our sin. His justice cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Our sin, it incurs the wrath of God. And the ultimate outcome of that wrath is eternal separation from him in hell. We don't like to talk about that in 2022. But that's the bad news. But the bad news actually gets even worse because there's nothing at all that we can do to fix that problem. Not on our own. We cannot be good enough on our own. We cannot be righteous enough on our own. We cannot earn our righteousness. We can't earn our salvation. The Bible tells us that all of our best attempts, like the very best that we can try, it's like filthy rags before God. Our sin earns God's wrath. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. It's death. That's what our sin earns. We cannot be good enough on our own. That's the bad news and the worst news. But the good news is that Romans doesn't end by saying the wages of sin is death, does it? No, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to earth and he lived that perfect life, the life that we couldn't live. He came and then he suffered and died in our place for our sin. And if we will repent of our sin, if we will place our faith and trust in his finished work there at the cross, he will forgive our sin. He will take it away as far as the east is from the west. 
But the good news actually gets even better because when he does that, the Bible tells us that God no longer sees us like he sees us in our sin. He no longer sees us as filthy sinners, unworthy of his presence, unworthy to be anywhere near him. Instead, what he sees us is he sees us like Jesus. He sees us as holy and righteous and beloved. And what that means is that we will be completely reconciled to God. We will spend all of eternity with God in his presence, free from the curse of sin. No more pain, no more suffering, no more hurts of any kind. That is the news that we celebrate at Easter. That that Jesus came and he died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. Jesus' resurrection means something for you today. So my prayer is that you will take that and that you will make it your own. If you have never repented of your sin, if if you're here because it's a tradition, if you're here because some family member dragged you in here, that's not on accident. I'm asking you. But to be perfectly honest, I'm begging you. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. I know there's some people who might be thinking, Josh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've messed up. The cross can handle it. Jesus can handle it. Take it to him. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in him. Let him be the Lord of your life. I'm telling you, you are a terrible Lord of your life. You can't do it well. You know that, but he can. And if you place your faith and trust in him, I'm telling you, you will not regret it. We're going to be celebrating some people that have done that today after this service, by the way. Stick around. But place your faith in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection has personal implications for you today. My question for you is, have you taken hold of them? Don't let Easter pass by as just a tradition. Take hold of what he has to offer today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.